How important is intention? Intention is the cause of everything we do. That's how important it is. Our intentions dictate everything. The Buddha, here's a quote. Whatever you think and ponder upon frequently, that becomes the inclination of the mind. What are the greatest hits of your mind? What are you pondering and thinking about most of the time? Is it skillful? Unskillful? Helpful to peace and happiness and contentment or eh, stress, anxiety, discontentment? Mindfulness Outreach Initiative is a nonprofit insight meditation organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. We provide meditation instruction based on ethics, compassion, and wisdom, as well as social outreach programs based on transformation and healing. To join the MOI community or to practice generosity, please visit our website at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. Welcome online on YouTube. And then welcome everyone here in person. It's it's always wonderful to Tuesday nights bring me such joy to come be in this community and for the most part know that we are all trying to do our best and walk this path as as it nourishes us. I've been thinking about doing like the first Saturday of the month that we actually do a mini retreat, a mini morning retreat from like nine, nine to 12. So do a little sitting, then a little walking, sitting, walking, and then call it a day just to get that little taste of retreat. I like to think of retreat. You want it at least once a day. We retreat once a day. So that's our daily meditation or however that looks to you, going out in nature, perhaps taking a walk. When I talk about retreat, what I'm talking about is just being. So you're setting down the doing, setting down the work, setting down the chores, setting down that thing that just makes you kind of go, oh, I don't want to do this. Instead, it's picking something up that nourishes you and go, oh, I can't wait to do this. So meditation is a little edgy because sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I, I need to. So that's the daily retreat, just setting, setting the doing down and just being for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour a day. And I was thinking of a weekly retreat. So one day a week, also being. And I'm not saying you meditate the whole day. This is where I think of actually just determining not to do anything work-related, anything that is work, that feels like work or chores. If you enjoy chores, do your chores. If you enjoy work, I still say put it down. You do it, you can do it six other days. But that way to, to live life, you know, what is living life to all of you? What does it mean to live life, enjoy life? What if it's gone tomorrow? You have one day left. How do you want to spend it? So one day, live it like it's your last. A little easier said than done, but just food for thought. And so then monthly retreat. That's where I'm at. The one day for the morning or a whole day retreat. So one day out of a month, we commit to meditating. Commit to just being, becoming still, letting go what meditation offers. And then the yearly retreat, which hopefully you can take one week or a weekend, 
once a year and really go on these longer meditation retreats to really enter a container, unplug from the chaos of the world, the just overstimulation of the world. And really you have this container, just let everything go and just be. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's blissful. Sometimes it's torturous. But as Kimberly said, it's a good use of time. It's a beneficial use of time. Pleasant, unpleasant insights occur. Insights into ourselves, insights into the mind. And that's really what we're doing. We're working with our minds here. So setting time, intentional time, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to, to be. That was a lot about retreat to say, I'm thinking about doing a Sunday or a Saturday morning Some of you know i very much into photography, so that is something that nourishes me. If I'm going to take a day off, I'm probably going to go do photography. And I've been really integrating photography into practice, into a form of meditation, like walking meditation, eating meditation. Anything can be meditation if it has that intention. And I've really been experimenting and working with how can you use photography, the camera, as a form of meditation. So I'm going to be doing a workshop here in September, and it's not about photography. It's, I'm not going to teach you how to take pictures or the technicalities of aperture, ISO, all that stuff. What I hopefully is to give you a tool, and the camera is just an extension to slow, slow down and to see, to really see light. You see color, see form, to just stop and look, to not add that concept, not just let things go by, to really deeply see and observe, and then how can I capture an image? And then you let the image go and keep going. That If that is something that interests you or you have more questions, please talk to me. I am kind of getting very excited about offering this, something I'm finding a lot of joy in and really want to share with others. Let's sit. Let's sit for about 10 minutes. And... Tension here is let go. You have permission to let go just arrive to just be, get as comfortable as you can. Just arrive, let go of the past, where you came from, let go of the future, nowhere to go, nothing to do. It's the present moment. It's a present. It's a gift. So here, give it to yourself. Enjoy.
to feel the body and the mind arriving here in the present moment. Connecting to that awareness, to that present moment awareness. Taking note how the body feels. Taking note the activity of the mind. Feeling the sense of what it's like to simply be. To truly be a human being versus a human doing. You can bring your awareness to the body itself. Bringing that light of mindfulness and awareness into the body, scanning the body, looking for places of stress, tightness, tension, holding, clinging. What does it feel like? Can you untie those knots? Soften the hardness. Let go of the tension. Let go of the stress. We like to hold stress in our backs a lot of the time, in the shoulders, in the neck. So just feel those places soften and relax. Also, the muscles of the face tend to hold tightness in our face, in the forehead and the jaw around our mouth. So relaxing the face. If anything feels uncomfortable in the body, have kindness, have compassion. It's okay to move and fidget to get the posture just right. A happy, relaxed body means a happy and relaxed mind. Spend a minute or two with the body, feeling the whole body having gratitude for this body that does so much. Give this body kindness, care, compassion.
And you can stay here with the whole body, feeling this physical form, or you can let the body go and just bring the present moment awareness to the breath. Feeling the physical sensations of breathing. Where do you feel the breath? How do you know you are breathing? We're not trying to control the breath. Just letting the breath be. Letting the breath breathe itself. Taking notes of the flavor, the textures, the quality of the breath. Is it a short breath or a long breath? A shallow breath, deep breath, a coarse breath or a fine breath? Is it a rapid breath or a really slow breath? Is each breath the same? So really becoming curious about the breath, riding the waves of the inhale, riding the waves of the exhale, being with the breath, feeling the breath. And if the mind is active, and it's having a hard time being with the breath or the body. Wonderful. It's a moment to come back. When you catch yourself lost in thought, wonderful. You have awakened. That is a moment of mindfulness. Just come back. Keep coming back to this body, to this breath, to this moment. No matter what is arising, you are making peace, being kind, and being gentle. With every breath, you are making peace, being kind, being gentle. Just letting go and letting be. And stay here with the body or the breathing, or you can even let that go and just open up awareness to experience and the present moment itself. Just receiving whatever comes to awareness. 
welcoming everything, pushing nothing away. What is most predominant right now? What are you noticing right now? How about now? We're just watching, being non judgmental. Observing the passing and permanent nature of experience. So we're going to sit silently for a couple more minutes. Practice in the way that feels most natural, most comfortable, in a way that feels most peaceful to this body and mind. Now check back in with this body and mind. What has changed? How do things feel? What is the result of this meditation? So I'm going to ring the bell three times. Be with the bell, really be with the sound, be present and feel the reception 
of this beautiful bell. Does anyone want to share their experience that past 10 minutes? I thought it was kind of tough, especially after about three to four minutes. It seems like it's hard to turn off the chatter. But I think that at least, like you said, being mindfulness, you bring it back to that. Just wait, stop, come back, wait, stop, come back. And it was hard to keep my eyes closed. I was opening them a few times. <laughs> just was. Were you getting sleepy? No. What was? No, just, I don't know. It was just hard to keep my eyes closed. I don't know why. Okay. Cool. And I noticed that everybody else is in this great stance, and I feel like I'm just the more relaxed. <laughs> the more relaxed I am like this, just uh, I feel like I can do it better. That's just me, though. I don't know. Second. Well, second long meditation. So. Thank you. Anyone else? Feel like sharing their experience? So I don't, I don't have the thing where I slouch, but I have this thing where, and I, this is not my first meditation. Like I said, I'm trying to get to where I feel satisfied with the fact that I've shut my brain down. But for me, I noticed that, and let me know if I'm, I'm not the only one with this. I'll have like this rotation, almost like a top that spins, <clears throat> where I'll just kind of feel myself moving like this once I really kind of, have shut things down. So about like four minutes and I'm like, okay, is everybody else doing that? Or is that just me? So like a, like a spinning top. Like it reminds me of like, if I, you know, those little tops you put, they have the point and I'll notice I'm kind of like centering that way. The quieter, the quieter. Yes. Yes. It's like a, so does that happen to anybody? Does else? it feel yeah. pleasant? Yeah, it's fine. It's just, I'm like, is that supposed to do that? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Anyone else? Sometimes it's hard to talk after if you do get to a still space. My, my practice is poor, but I do it two days a week uh, at refuge recovery and here. And I need kind of the pure support slash pressure, you know, in those first few minutes to just do it. Uh, elsewise, something will pop into my mind and I'll go off and do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, very grateful to just have the opportunity to do this. And yeah, I totally know what you mean. Like, because uh, uh, I, I think like, it's kind of a difficult task to like, stack your body in just the right way that it's just going to sit there like a Jenga stack. And, and so there, there probably are like these little, like, like a willow tree kind of, mm -hmm. uh, 
kind of a emotion that you might pick up on uh, that's just so subtle you might not notice it uh, elsewise. And so that's pretty cool, uh, especially if it's not causing any tension or any pain. You're just like, all right, this is, I'm not really solid. I'm not perfectly straight, but my body can do it, you know? And it's like, if it were, you'd be a rock. Don't resist. Don't attach. Sometimes these uh, states in meditation that are very pleasurable, you're like, how did I get there? I got to get there again. Got to do that again. What did I do? And experienced teachers will just go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, don't get attached. There's also on the opposite side might be some very scary feelings. Common experience is this the sense of self that is usually so solid and so part of who we are in our daily life that it begins to disappear and be really scary because it's it's losing yourself and we have a our biggest addiction is to self. And so sometimes that fear stops it, but in other experiences, not that I can't say from my own personal experience, this is just what I've heard others say, but where that complete, you let that sense of self go, truly realize the selfless nature of reality, and it really is that unity, this oneness in a way, or just expansiveness and then you got to come back like what happened there and again you don't get attached to it may happen once may never happen again may not ever happen at all like in my case i've i've been wanting these deep states for so long oh i want to hit what's called jhana that's what we call them in this tradition like these super deep states oh i want the body to disappear i want to forget myself i want to experience everything i read and and what's funny is the wanting gets in the way because you get to these places by the letting go. It is by letting go of all the wanting and all the control, all the will, letting go of that, I need to do this. Whatever that experience is, yeah, you embrace it and you get curious about it. And especially if it's pleasant, enjoy it. Pleasant states are wonderful especially experiences where joy starts welling up, peace starts welling up, stillness starts welling up. Oh, that's, that's what we call the fruit. It's just ripe, it's juicy, it's delicious, and joy. That is, that is why we practice. It's a nice, I mean, don't get attached. You don't expect it when you're sitting down. I'm going to eat a nice, juicy fruit of peace. No, if it comes, it comes. But, but when they do, Really have that gratitude, have that enjoyment, really feel it, experience it, know it. And on the flip side, when it is complete agitation and chaos and stormy weather of the mind and pains and aches in the body, wonderful. That's a time to study that stuff. It's the opposite. It's not, that's the unpleasant. All right, so this is unpleasant. Let's embrace it. Let's learn about it. Let's be curious about it. Can you have peace in discomfort? Can you be still in chaos? Can you find that eye of the storm? 
Some days, yes. Some days, no. All right, so tonight's talk apparently is going to be a two-parter. Tonight is part one. Last month, I started talking about the first factor of the path. And I feel I need to explain the path real quick. A little Buddhism 101 tonight. We are on a path. That's what this is. That's what I'm talking about tonight. That's usually what we're talking about, period, is this path. Meditation is part of the path. A path you walk. So how do you skillfully walk this path? So the Four Noble Truths is what this is all based on. First truth is that life is a bumpy ride. It's not smooth. And to expect that it's going to be smooth brings a lot of discontent. So there's discontent. And you'll hear suffering is the common buzzword we use in this circle, that suffering is part of life. But I don't prefer suffering. Suffering is a form of discontent. It's a very extreme form of discontent, but it's a spectrum of discontent. It's a form of bumpiness. Life's a bumpy ride. So what causes this discontent? The discontent is thirsting, is actually the translation of the word. Thirsting, you can't have enough. So craving, clinging, wanting. But it's a very neurotic, unhealthy way of relating that I can't have enough. I want more or I don't want it. It's wanting and not wanting, but to where it's never satisfied. You cannot be content because the craving never ceases. Addictions, that addiction to self, hence the letting go of self, is really, really hard because we're addicted to it. We want it to be a certain way. We want to feel a certain way. We want to be, present ourselves in this identity a certain way. We want, there's a lot of wanting and clinging and grasping in ourself. That's PhD level stuff. We start with the simple ones like, hmm, I really like ice cream. Hmm, I want more ice cream. We use ice cream sandwiches. What if I have just one more? Oh, just one more. Oh, just one more. Oh, too much. Too much. Oh, there's the discontent. That wasn't, that wasn't good. Okay, so that's the second one. Third truth is that it can cease. It can end. Contentment is possible. Happiness is possible. And then the fourth one is this path. So here is how you do it. Here is how you find contentment, decrease discontentment. So every month, that's kind of what I started doing, is taking on these eight aspects of the path. So the first aspect is view. You have to have a map. You have to know where you're going. That's the Four Noble Truths. Understanding discontent and the relation with thirsting, with that craving. What's the relationship? And really studying it. Okay, I'm walking this path because it leads somewhere. Where does it lead? It leads to freedom, liberation. Contentment, happiness, peace, awakening to a satisfying life, I would suspect, in some degree, where we're very satisfied with who we are and how we live and what it, we have cultivated. So that's the view. And then tonight is the intention. So it's the second aspect. Another way to think of the path 
is in threes, called the threefold training. So first is how you act and speak in the world, your behavior, morality, virtue, whatever word resonates. So are you, are you being kind or are you unkind? And what are the effects of being kind versus unkind? Are you loving or hateful? And what are the effects of being loving versus hateful? What produces more peace? What ways of acting and speaking and being and living, making money, relating with people, all this stuff of being in the world, what is the most wise and skillful way to do it that leads to peace? That is the sila, is the word we say, sila. It's the morality piece. You want to be... You want to be a good person. Then there's meditation. So if you are acting skillfully, speaking skillfully, you don't have any remorse, you're filled with gratitude and love and because you're this kind person, then meditating, you're not going to have these, oh, I wish I said that, or oh, the anger at this person and the craving and all this stuff can stir it up by unskillfulness, unwise living. It's harder to meditate. And the meditation is to settle the mind. It's to still the mind like water. So when the water has a bunch of waves, you go to see a reflection. How clear is the reflection? It's very distorted. So when the mind is really stirred up and agitated with greed, aggression, delusion, then we're not seeing clearly. But through meditation, we allow the mind to settle. It becomes still. And then we start seeing clearly. It helps that water settle. And in the scene clearly comes the wisdom, which is the third. So the first is morality, second is meditation, and then the third is wisdom. That's the three aspects of this path. We're starting with wisdom because we need to have the map. But really, wisdom arises by itself. We just kind of focus on how we're living, how we're being, and then our practice of actually meditation, cultivating this still, peaceful clear, awakened mind that is conducive to reflecting reality in the most clear way possible. So start with view. And view is really whatever leads to that non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion. And we go the opposite instead of saying non-greed would be generosity. But non-greed could be other forms than generosity. It's just letting go of greed. And how does that look? It's not just generosity. Renunciation. Anne talked about renunciation. And honestly, I was planning on talking a little bit about that tonight too. Non-aggression. So what's non-aggression? Well, we say loving kindness, but friendliness, caring, compassion. What is non-aggression? Non-harm, that's really what it's coming down to, not doing that harm, not being cruel. That's a little different than saying, oh, be loving. There's, there's a lot to when we use, and non-delusion, again, delusion's a hard one. You don't really see delusion until you're out of the delusion. The view is what path, what way, what causes and conditions are leading to non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion in how I think, how I speak, how I act. And that's why I say peace. What's creating this peace and stillness, this clarity of mind? So the intention is the next part. 
And we call it intention. It's called thinking, resolve, attitude, disposition. There's a lot of words we can use, but intention, I think, is the most common. And it is related to thinking, but it's because thought leads to action. But intentions lead to action. And that's what it's about. And the attitude we bring, I like that too, as I was studying this this past month and come across having a right attitude. How, what attitude are we bringing to practice? Oh, this is a chore. Okay, let's just get it done. Versus, oh, I can't wait to just sit and let go. I need this. Totally different attitude. So how we approach practice affects the fruits, affects the outcomes. So as I said, this path, you walk a path, which means you engage in the path. It requires effort, requires awareness, mindfulness, effort. The view part is we can read books, we can listen to talks, we can get all this conceptual knowledge, all these words, but if you don't take it and actually walk, put it into the walk, it does no good. You're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to be standing with a bunch of words in your head. So right intention really is having a good attitude, a skillful, wise attitude in how you walk this path. I like hiking, and there's some trails, especially in the mountains, that are like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be work. And again, how do you, what attitude do you bring versus, oh, this is a nice flat one. I can't wait to do this one. But sometimes it was, I, I want to do a challenging, difficult I need something challenging, and that felt better, the attitude I brought to it. And it's also, what do I need as well to go on this trail? How do you approach this path? Again, it's not smooth. It is bumpy. Life is bumpy. This path is bumpy. It requires attitudes of care, mindfulness, and awareness. That's our buzzword here, hence in the name Mindfulness Outreach Initiative, Mindfulness. The answer is always mindfulness. To be mindful. What is mindfulness? Present moment awareness. But remembering to be aware of the present moment. You remember, and then you have a choice. I'm supposed to be aware. Now nah, I'm going to stay distracted. Or, okay, I'm really going to walk the path of awareness. Stay aware. How important is intention? Intention is the cause of everything we do. That's how important it is. Our intentions dictate everything. The Buddha, here's a quote. Whatever you think and ponder upon frequently, that becomes the inclination of the mind. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you're pondering, whatever you're thinking about, what are the greatest hits of your mind? What are you pondering and thinking about most of the time? Guarantee you have a top three. And they change. Is it skillful? Unskillful? Helpful to peace and happiness and contentment? Or 
Ah, stress, anxiety, discontentment. So I'm going to read a story, which this might be where I end it, just to give an example of how we approach things with an attitude and what that looks like and what that means. And of course, I like stories. We remember stories. When I was 13, my family would send me up to the mountains around the monastery to collect edible plants for our evening meal. These foraging trips were the only work I enjoyed doing. Otherwise, I tried every trick I could to avoid work on my family's farm. I was still in school, but it held no interest for me. My anger was a welcome barrier to learning anything the teacher was teaching. Occasionally, during my foraging trips, I would pass by the monastery while the monks were out sweeping the leaves from the many pathways. The first time I saw the monks working, I was mesmerized in watching them going about their work. For many months after, I would often stop a while to watch them sweep. They went about their work silently and with an efficiency that seemed effortless. Then, one day, a monk walked up to me and asked what I was doing in the mountains. I became defensive. I resented anyone who tried to get to know me. So, instead of answering the question, I countered by asking what he was doing. The monk smiled and answered that he had been told to sweep and that he was just killing time until he could return to his room for a nap. As I walked home later that day, I thought about his answer, and I was glad that he did not seem any different than me. When I was required to do anything, my heart was never in it, and my attitude was that I was passing time until I could be excused. Taking a nap was certainly preferable. The next time I passed the monastery on one of my foraging trips, another monk stopped his sweeping and also asked what I was doing. Again, I resented the question. It felt like an intrusion. However, this time, I did not feel as defensive. But again, I deflected the question by asking what he was doing. He answered that he was doing extra work in hopes of being assigned to the kitchen, which was warm in the winter and always seemed to have one or two extra sweet rice cakes in the cupboard for the cooks to nibble on. Without saying anything, I nodded and left to continue my foraging. The monk's answer resonated with me since I too liked to be warm and eating sweet cakes was one of my favorite activities, second only to sleeping. The next time I passed the monastery, a third monk asked me the same question. This time I was surprised I wasn't offensive or resentful of being asked. However, again, I deflected the question back to him. He explained that he was sweeping as a spiritual discipline to help him overcome his anger. Later, as I walked the mountain trail with my bag of plants, I felt a kinship with this monk. Like me, he had anger, but I was perplexed that he would want to overcome it because I felt my anger protected me. A week later, I was once again outside the monastery watching the monk sweep. Yet another monk came up to me. When he asked me what I was doing, 
I mumbled something about collecting plants. I doubt he could hear me, for my voice was so faint. But I did muster up some strength to ask him what he was doing. He replied, he was beautifying the monastery so that others might be inspired in their work of spiritual transformation. I glanced down the well-swept paths and realized that one reason I was compelled to watch the monks sweep was that they seemed to be transforming the paths into something that made me feel calm and safe. The next time I stood outside the monastery watching the monks, I was drawn to walk over to a fifth monk. And before he could ask me what I was doing, I asked him. He looked at me with kind eyes. After what seemed like a long but soft silence, he explained that he was sweeping to be of service to all who used the monastery. Practicing in this way, he hoped to find ultimate peace. As I left the monastery that day, I thought his answer was strange. I didn't understand what he meant by service and by peace, and I certainly couldn't see how these had any value for me. The next time I visited the monastery was the last time. I had an unfamiliar feeling as I walked up into the mountains. Just before I reached the monastery, I realized that I was looking forward to seeing the monks again. I felt a warm glow of gladness and anticipation of what I would find. When I arrived at the monastery, I walked right up to an old monk who seemed absorbed in his sweeping, and I inquired what he was doing. His words washed over me like cleansing water. Me? I am not doing anything. My self-consciousness was swept away long ago. There is no I that does anything. Now the awkward life moves through my body, my heart, my mind, and my mouth. No one sweeps. There are no paths to sweep, and there is no dirt to brush away. I was stunned by his answer, and before I could respond, he handed me the broom and walked away. I have been here at the monastery ever since. The gist, every monk had a different attitude to just sweeping, which is a huge practice at, at least in this tradition at monasteries, you sweep. In the sweeping is just the sweeping. In doing the dishes, just do the dishes. You're just that present moment awareness. That's the instruction, but the mind, what it's adding on to, that intention, I'm hoping to get something. And you can kind of see, is it skillful or unskillful? In the beginning, well, I want to be warm in the winter. Fair enough. But I also want the sweet cakes. Like, ooh, more ice cream. So there's a little of that uh, craving there behind the sweeping. But then as later as you see, it's like, no, it's for the benefit of other people or for the benefit of myself, my own transformation. I want to find peace and I know this is a way to cultivate peace or no, I want to make the environment beautiful and the space beautiful because beautiful environment is conducive to a beautiful mind. And oh, a lot of people come and I want to be of service to them. And it's this act of generosity and giving and caring. And, and then that last old bug is just, you know, that there is no one here. There's no one sweeping. There's no path. We, we say this when you come to that, that realization 
And it's just all processes coming together and fading away. Yep, that was it. So I'll leave it with this. You know, reflect on how your intentions and how you're approaching your daily activities of life. How aware in the present moment, how mindful are you of those thoughts of, and attitudes, dispositions you're bringing to the task at hand into your life? If you have to do something, then try to find in you the very best attitude and intentionality that you would like to express in that work. In the long term, how you're going to be transformed and changed is not by the activity you do, but by the motivations, intentions, and attitudes behind what you do. If you do things with peace, with kindness, with gentleness, then you are growing peace, kindness, and gentleness. But if you are doing things with hatred, oppression, anger, greed, then that's what you're cultivating. And it's not easy because these are habits too. We have been habitually practicing these thought streams and these thought patterns and these attitudes and taking, well, I'm a defensive person, so this is how I have to show up because that's who I am. Oh, I don't talk. I'm an introvert. I'm silent. I need to be in my shell. Or I'm an extrovert. I have to constantly be engaging and you know, these, these, that self-identity that we are creating, that's just a creation too. And what's the attitude behind that? That's all just the intro, I guess, for next month, which I'll talk much more in detail about, uh, about the three right intentions. So thank you all for, for coming. Really does warm my heart. I can just feel the joy. The, to share and talk with you all. And I really do hope that it can prove beneficial and you can take something out of tonight that will give you a sense of peace and ease. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We know your time is valuable, so we are grateful you choose to spend it with the MOI community. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. To make an offering, please visit us at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org and tune in each week for more Dharma talks, reflections, and teachings centered in the insight meditation tradition.